Amen. Thank you so much, Rick and team, for leading us in worship this morning. It's so good to see you, those of you here in the room and those worshiping with us online. It's going to be a good, good day. Let's go first to the Lord in prayer. And Father, we thank you for this day, for the privilege we have to come to get away from the busyness and cares of the world and to worship you in song and now in the word. Lord, I pray that your spirit would fall in this place and every place where this worship service is viewed live and later and that you do great work in our hearts. Encourage us, teach us today. We pray for a sister church, Iglesia Bautista Bethania Central, that you would equip them and provide for them and use them, Lord, to reach the lost in the Spanish-speaking community and beyond that. We pray for Mark and Haley, our New Mexico missionaries in Central Asia, that you just do a great work and then protect them, help them to reach many for Christ and make many multiplying disciples. We pray for Albuquerque, Lord, that you would redeem and restore the city, that you would do a great work sending spiritual awakening revival, and that you would transform Albuquerque until she's a jewel in the desert giving praise and glory to your name. And Lord, now take your word, use it powerfully in my life and our lives today. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Take your copy of God's word and turn to Luke chapter three this morning. We'll take a break from Revelation for a couple of weeks. We were supposed to begin seeing Jesus opening the seals and a lot of bad stuff, and it just didn't feel like a December 13th uh, message, and so um, we'll postpone Revelation a little bit. But actually, even that next section, we're going to see the mercy of God, uh, and we'll see that on December 27th. But we're in Luke 3, verses 23 through 38 this morning. Luke chapter 3, verses 23 through 38. You may remember the movie or the book, Little Lord Fauntleroy, set in the 1880s. Little Cedric is a poor boy being raised by a poor, hardworking single mother in Brooklyn. She'd been married before she was a widow. She'd been married to an Englishman. And so it's discovered that uh, little Cedric is actually the heir to a great wealth and a great inheritance. His name becomes Little Lord Fauntleroy, but he will later, as he grows up, be the new Earl in Dorincourt. Well, you have an inheritance because of Christ at Christmas. And we're going to look at that today. We're going to look at some background issues and some things we can learn from that. But there's an encouraging word in this as we look at it, zoom in. And then we'll Google Earth back out a little bit and see the implications and what that means to me and to you at Christmas. So we're here in this genealogy. We looked at the genealogy of Jesus that Matthew records a few years ago, and now we're in this genealogy in Luke. And there's always a reason that God puts every word in his word, and so let's learn from it. Beginning in verse 23, when he, Jesus, began his ministry... Jesus himself was about 30 years of age, being as was supposed the son of Joseph, the son of Eli, the son of 
Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Janai, the son of Joseph, the son of Mattathias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Hezli, the son of Nagai, the son of Maoth, the son of Mattathias, the son of Simeon, the son of Josek, the son of Jodah, the son of Joanan, the son of Resa, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the son of Neri, the son of Melchi, the son of Adai, the son of Kosam, the son of Elmadam, the son of Er, the son of Joshua, the son of Eliezer, the son of Joram, the son of Methot, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonam, the son of Eliakim, the son of Malaya, the son of Menah, the son of Mathata, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salmon, the son of Nashon, the son of Amminadab, the son of Admin, the son of Ram, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Serug, the son of Ru, the son of Peleg, the son of Heber, the son of Shelah, the son of Kainan, the son of Arphaxad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahaliel, the son of Kainan, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. So here is this genealogy of Jesus. Why genealogies? Well, in Matthew, Matthew records, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the genealogy of Jesus through Joseph, his legal genealogy through the line of Joseph. And in that genealogy, remember, remember that it was uh, grouped into three sections of 14, and they would memorize those genealogies. You know, we're told not to argue about genealogies, and for us, we're thinking, who would argue about a genealogy? Why would you do that? You can just sign up on the Mormon website, and they can hook you in, and you can find out your genealogy. I'm kidding. We've done that, but just know who that usually is. Um, there's a, that's another sermon. But anyway, um, why would we argue about that? Well, it was important to them. It proved things. And so there was in Matthew the, the legal genealogy through Joseph. But over here in Luke, Luke is giving us the genealogy of Jesus through Mary and her fathers and grandfathers. And they both go through three very important intersections, that of Abraham and Judah and um, Adam, uh, not Adam, sorry, Abraham and Judah. And I just went blank on the last one. I'll get it just in a moment. Thank you. And uh, so, but they take a break there at David. Thank you. They take a break at David and Matthew, Joseph's genealogy, goes through Solomon and down, but here in Luke, in Luke looking at, I just washed my mouth, I can't do anything with it. Um, so thank you. Um, anyway, so but Mary's genealogy takes uh, the other direction and goes through Nathan, not Nathan the prophet, but Nathan, one of David's other sons. And so Matthew is recording the genealogy, and he wants to make sure, because he's writing to a Jewish audience, that they understand that Jesus went back to Abraham. 
But Luke goes all the way back to Adam because he's writing to a Gentile audience, and he wants to let the Gentiles know that this Jesus of whom they're hearing, that he is God, come in the flesh. Now, here's an interesting thing as well. So, here in Genesis 3, or back in Genesis 3, God promises that he's going to send the deliverer, the Messiah. And so immediately the devil goes to work trying to snuff out that line to make sure that this deliverer doesn't get here. Because again, what is the devil's wonderful plan for your life? We learn about it in John 10.10. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants you to die and spend eternity being punished for your sin. An evil plan for your life. But Jesus has come, John 10.10 tells us, that we may have life and have it more abundantly that we're all sinners, every one of us, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but Jesus came to pay the price of that sin for us. So the devil doesn't want that to happen in your life. He doesn't want you to hear about and believe that, and before he didn't even want it to happen, so he tried to snuff out that line. Well, God makes promises and keeps them. And Christmas is many things, but it's a reminder of a God who is a promise-keeping God. And so it's beautiful here to see that God promises that the Messiah would come, and he gets there two, maybe three different ways. One would have been enough. God, nothing could have kept God from delivering on his promise. But he gets Jesus here through the line of Joseph. He gets Jesus here through the line of Mary because it had to come through those three important intersections, David, Judah, and Abraham. And then also, because Jesus was God, he also had God as his father. He essentially gets here three different ways. And so God says, I could just keep my promise through one, but I'll get him here three different ways, through two different lines, and because he just is God anyway, and I can get him there. So it's a beautiful promise to us that God keeps and the devil tries to snuff out. The devil tries to keep you then from hearing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, The devil tries to keep you from believing in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. As Americans, he wants you to either not hear or to discredit the message or to be inoculated and to think, I go to church, my parents went to church, I'm an American, all of these things to keep you thinking that you're a Christian, but you may have not ever come to know Jesus Christ personally as your Savior. So today, if that's you, change that and come to know Christ as your Savior here at Christmas. Then if you do come to know Christ as your Savior, he switches again to his last plan. That is to at least keep you from walking closely with the Lord because then you won't enjoy it and you won't be a witness for the Lord and the Lord won't get glory through your life. But God kept his part of the promise. There's so many stories here inside this genealogy that we could spend time on. However, some of the folks in this genealogy we don't know much about. Never heard of some of these folks. You ever heard of Malaya, Mena? You ever heard of Maoth? No. But they were significant. God put them in the plan on purpose, and you are significant to God. You may have come here today feeling very insignificant. I want you to go home encouraged today. One is that God put you here on purpose. The old saying, God don't make junk, and he doesn't, and he made you on purpose with a purpose to know him and to glorify him with your life. There are lots of family stories uh, here. We even see Jesus says he came about 
his ministry publicly at the age of 30. Family's on my mind uh, between services because we have this unique longer break uh, right now. Uh, our Albuquerque grandson was dedicated this morning, he and his parents, and so we ran across town to his dedication and back, and so it was fun to be a pastor and be that person that the greeters think, wow, what an, what an ungodly man. He ran in for the baby dedication and ran out. I tell you what, didn't even go to church. I didn't have time to tell him, this is my third, this is church three times today. But anyway, so family's on my mind. So here's Jesus at the age of 30. Uh, beginning his public ministry. He spent 30 years with his family there. We see uh, back there when his parents took him to be dedicated at the temple, uh, and they lost him. And uh, with eight children, don't ask me if I've ever lost a child. Um, Never permanently, I can say that. Uh, And they went back, and what did they find him doing? Uh, He was there, and it was interesting. He was asking questions of the elders, young men, young women, ask questions, don't know it all, ask questions of those who've gone before, and then those of us who are older need to spend time uh, answering and dialoguing with young men and young women uh, as well. But here's Jesus in a family, a beautiful picture. It says, after they found him, they took him back, and he continued to grow in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man as he put himself in a family. Can you imagine that, that Mary and Joseph discipled Jesus? How about that for an assignment for you? But nevertheless, at age 30, Jesus, uh, it is time to begin his public ministry. Well, lots to learn here in this genealogy, but I want to again today do something a little different and widen out, bring in some other scriptures to bring home another point that is important for us at Christmas, and perhaps particularly in 2020. This has been a strange year. It's been a good year. I try to always make myself say that. Uh, You know, some people say 2020 has a one-star rating. We don't recommend it uh, and all these things. Yes, there have been a lot of things that we haven't liked, that I haven't liked this year. But I I try to always make myself verbally say the truth, that it's been a great year. It's been a great year for our church. Difficult, different, but there have been many wonderful things. It's been a great year uh, in our family, difficult, and all of those things. But if 2020, uh, one of the things that it has done is it's created loneliness. Those of you in this room have experienced some loneliness. Some of you watching at home have experienced incredible loneliness this year. We're seeing more and more of what we knew was happening behind the scenes, stories of loneliness, elderly loneliness, teenage loneliness, every age loneliness. And so my prayer is that God would use the truths that we're about to tie together here to encourage you that you are not alone this Christmas. Whether you haven't left your house for 10 months and whether you stay alone in your house for Christmas, you are not alone if you know Christ as your Savior. Why is that? Well, Jesus is the heir because of this genealogy. He's the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He's the heir of all of this. But John 1.12, there's a few different levels here I want us to look at. The first is this level of the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ being a child of God. John 1.12 gives us this promise, as many as believed in him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. If you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is God, come to the earth, living without sin, dying on your cross, on my cross, risen again, returned to the Father, able to pay for your sin, you believe in him, he he says, I will give you the right to become the children of God. That you and I, 
We hear this all the time as believers. We're the child, we're a child of God, we're a child of God. We are, just pause here at Christmas and understand the privilege we have to be the child of God. It's an incredible gift to us. If you don't get anything else at Christmas, there's your best gift in John 1.12. 1 John 3.1, see how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we could be called the children of God, and such we are. What a love God has it's bestowed, lavished on us to be called the children of God. Why? Why would God do that? That you and I, choosing to sin against him before we know him, and yet he says, I want to die for them so that they can come to know me and be my child. Not just kind of be my uh, tolerated one on the outskirts of the camp. I want them to be my child. It's an amazing, amazing gift. Galatians 4, 6, because you are sons, God has sent forth his spirit into your spirit that we may cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy. God is, the scripture tells us, the father to the fatherless. Some of you are fatherless. You had a father, but you don't know where he is or he's gone or he's dead. God is the father to the fatherless. So the first thing is here at Christmas, know this. If you know Christ is your Savior, you're a child of God who never leaves you or forsakes you. So therefore, you're not alone at Christmas. He's adopted us into his own. We lived in Japan, as you know, for 10 years, and uh, adoption just wasn't a thing in Japan. Talking about arguing about genealogies, they're very concerned about bloodlines. Even to this day, uh, there is a certain... A segment of the Japanese population, much like Simon the Tanner and these folks in the New Testament, uh, they dealt with uh, dead things and animal skins and these things a long time ago. And so you can still go to the city hall to make sure the person your child is going to marry did not come from that segment of Japanese society, which is wrong, but I'm just telling, giving you this perspective. So they don't really adopt. It's, there, there's some, some new adoption happening, which is good. Uh, but they don't do that. They don't have a concept of that. A lot of missionaries will adopt. Uh, we had some friends that we were colleagues with in Japan, and they adopted two little Japanese girls. God had not given them children. They wanted children. Well, they were visiting us, and they were sitting around this table, kind of in the fellowship hall of this little church that we were assigned to during language study. And so I could hear these two grandmas across the table talking. And they were saying about our friends' little girls, it's so funny, they look Japanese, those little girls. How, how can that be? And I'd, you know, I'd politely say, well, well, they actually are Japanese. And, and then I could hear them talking again. It's so funny that I guess because the parents have been living here for a while, so now their daughters look Japanese, you know. And, and I'd say, well, actually, they are Japanese. Anyway, I just tried and tried to help them understand they were adopted. They're Japanese. Well, praise the Lord, God believes in adoption because he has adopted us in as children of God. If you know Christ, you're a child of God. And if you don't, come to know him today, today while we're here. But not only that, not only are we adopted as children, but if I said to you, since you're a child, and take this genealogy, put yourself in this genealogy, I would normally, naturally want to write my name under, below Christ's name, but according to Romans 8 and others, we would need to write our name beside Christ's name because Romans 8 says that he's the firstborn among many brothers, that spiritually somehow not only are we the child of God if we come to know him as Savior, but Jesus is somehow the firstborn among us as brothers and sisters. Spiritually, we are joint heirs with him. 
Galatians 4, 7, you're no longer a slave, but a son and joint heirs with Christ in God. So if you know Christ is your Savior this Christmas, not only are you a child of God and therefore you're not alone, even if you walked in alone, even if you're watching alone, if you have the Spirit of God living inside of you, the Holy of Holies come to live inside of you, you cannot be alone. But you're also among siblings with Jesus. Unbelievable. But there's a third one, the last one I want you to understand this Christmas. That if I am a co-heir and Jesus is the firstborn among my brethren, and you know Christ, and the same is true about you, then you and I are brothers and sisters in Christ. You're stuck with me. You can pick your friends, but you're stuck with your family. You're stuck with me and I'm stuck with you. But at Christmas, if you're a part of the family of God, and particularly this local assembly of the family of God, we are together. And I want you to know that whether you came in this room alone or you're watching alone, you're my brother, you're my sister in Christ, and vice versa. And you, therefore, cannot be alone. Now, what do we need to do about that? Well, we need to look around to see who needs us to remind them that they're our brother and our sister in Christ. And you say, yeah, I'm waiting for them to do that. No, don't wait. You do it. You say, I'm the alone one. Okay, good. Find another alone one. And you reach out to them. Whatever way is appropriate for you this year. The phone doesn't transmit COVID for sure. At least they haven't, CDC hasn't said that this week. But you reach out to someone who needs to know that they are your brother and sister in Christ this Christmas. And you'll be surprised what that will do for you. It's not a long message today. I hear those amens. Well, I'll try to make up for it next week. But it's a poignant message to me and to you. There's nothing. You've come into this room with hurts and worries. Some of you, some of you come in, it's the best day of your life, and praise the Lord for that. Some of you are watching, and, and you have hurts and worries and concerns. You're not alone in this. If you know Christ, you're a child of God. You're a sibling of the Lord Jesus Christ spiritually, and you're my brother and my sister in Christ. I'm so thankful for Sandia Baptist Church being a loving church. But don't ever rest there. Don't ever, we can't ever rest on our laurels and become proud of that. We must continue to be proactive. You've done a beautiful job of that this year, caring for one another. Now, these next couple of weeks, double your efforts. Love on the brother and sister who needs to hear that from you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this word to me this week, this word to us. That in Christ, we're never alone for multiple, multiple reasons. Because our God keeps his promises. And then our God puts us into biological families, but he puts us into the family of God. And Lord, I pray for that one who came into this room or turned on this broadcast thinking they were alone. And that today, your spirit would encourage them that they are not alone. And may we do a good job of reaching out to show that brother and sister love to one another in these next couple of weeks. Lord, there are those in this room or listening who they're not in the family of God because they have never come to know Christ as their Savior. God, may this be the day that they say, I don't want to just believe in God in my head. 
I want to be born again. I want the Spirit of God, because of the cross of Christ, forgiving me of my sin, to come live in my heart forever as Lord and Savior. Lord, those who have come to know you but haven't followed you in believer's baptism, that they would do so today. They'd come and say, I know Christ, I want to follow him. Those that you've laid on their heart, that this is to be their church home at this time in their life, would you help them to come today, take a pastor by the hand, and say, the Lord said, this is to be my church home for this time in my life. And in all the other ways that you've spoken to us today, help us to say yes to you today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.